0: The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible Story. Chapter 134 Face to Face with Reality. King Hazael of Syria and his army swooped toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem, just the sound of it, made Hazael grin in anticipation of the riches that would soon be his. These Jews would not be able to resist him any more than their Israelite brothers had. The shouts of one of Hazael's commanders jarred him back to reality. Men on horses are approaching, Hazael's thoughts raced. Perhaps these Jews had more courage than he had given them credit for. Maybe he had made a mistake to so boldly march into Judah. The God of Judah was a strange God that had caused many strange things to happen in the past. Hazael's worry was brief. Instead of an army coming out to attack, it turned out to be a long line of donkeys and camels. Hazael was informed that this enormous convoy contained gifts from King Jehoash of Judah. The vast quantities of gold, silver, and jewels were intended to show that the king wanted peace with Hazael. The Syrian king was enfooled. He knew that if the tables were turned, Jehoash would demand heaps of treasure not to plunder Damascus, the capital city of Syria. He knew these gifts were sent to entice him to leave and to cause division within his ranks. With all this wealth, his men would not be anxious to die fighting in a battle before they could spend any of it. Hazael decided to err on the side of caution and return to Syria. That way we are guaranteed to keep our gifts and we won't risk losing any men, he told his first-in-command. We can always come back another time when Judah isn't expecting it. When Jehoash heard the news of Hazael's retreat, he felt great relief. The kingdom was spared. However, the state finances were in terrible shape now that he had given all his money to Hazael. The people weren't going to be happy either, since he now had to raise everyone's taxes. Even worse, the Levites and priests were furious with him because he had taken all the gold and valuable treasures from the temple to help bribe the Syrians. In fact, that was where he got most of the money. The peace that Jehoash thought he had purchased did not last long. About a year later, the Syrian soldiers ventured into Israel again. When Jehoash was informed of this, he nodded, Just as I suspected, he said. Jehoash had a full year to prepare, and this time was ready for the invaders. When reports arrived that the Syrian army only contained a few hundred men, he was elated. Confidence swelling, Jehoash ordered his men to forego his original battle strategy. Now they would go out and simply overwhelm the intruders. The two armies came within view of each other a few miles north of Jerusalem. Jehoash expected the Syrians to run the minute they saw they were outnumbered. As the two armies approached, Jehoash gave the signal. He yelled as he cracked his whip over his chariot horse's head. Jehoash's small cavalry rushed toward the Syrians, with his huge body of conscripted infantry hastily following behind. Jehoash's hot-headedness led him to attack. He was confident that Syria's smaller army would be no match for Judah. However, the soldiers of Judah did not want to fight. Most of them were just farmers and herdsmen who were being pressed into service. Many had never fought before. Because of the nation's sins, God did not help them. And without God's help, they were no match for the professional Syrians. The battle soon turned into a rout, with Jehoash's army fleeing in many directions. Jehoash fled for his life too. He barely made it back inside the walls of Jerusalem before he could be caught. Many of his soldiers were not so successful. It wasn't long before the Syrians were marching around the walls of Jerusalem. Although they couldn't get inside, the people of Judah were demoralized. The stress was too much for Jehoash, and he became ill. Among Jehoash's attendants were two long-standing servants, Josachar and Jehozabad. Although Jehoash thought that no one knew about his conspiracy to kill Zechariah the priest many years before, word had spread. People knew the king was guilty of murder. Jehoash's two servants had come to despise him for his cowardly act, and they took this opportunity to make sure the sickly king never got out of his bed. He was buried in Jerusalem, but not in the tombs of the kings of Judah. His people deemed him unfit to be buried there. Amaziah, Jehoash's son, became the next king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he mostly did what was right in the eyes of God. Although he did not take down all of the pagan high places, he did command his people to worship at the temple. He also had Josachar and Jehoshabad, his father's murderers, executed for murder. But in keeping with the law, he did not have their families put to death. This was a great relief for many people of Judah who were tired of all the violence and appreciated a king who also abided by the law. One of the first things Amaziah did was rebuild the army. Men twenty years of age and older were recruited. Officers were trained. Soldiers were put through intensive exercises. Arms and equipment were gathered enough to form a 300,000-man army. With his army complete, Amaziah decided it was time to force the Edomites to pay the tribute that hadn't been paid since King Jehoram's day. But after working out his invasion strategy, he decided he didn't have enough men. Instead of taking the time to train more soldiers, He sent a thousand pounds of silver to the Israelite tribe of Ephraim and hired one hundred thousand mercenaries to join his army. Just as excited Amaziah was set to begin the invasion of Edom, a man of God showed up at his palace. God has sent me to warn you about the Ephraimite men you paid to join your army, the prophet said. Do not take the Ephraimites with you because God's favor is not with Israel right now. If you use them, God will not be with you. If you still choose to go to battle, be strong and of good courage. God will be with you. It's not the number of men that determines the outcome of a war. But God Almighty, but how am I supposed to get my money back from the Ephraimites? Amaziah complained. I have already paid them. He was irritated at the waste of money and the last-minute change of plans. The money spent on the soldiers is nothing, replied the prophet. That small sum will not compare to the great spoils God can give you if you obey him. Amaziah faced a dilemma. It seemed like a huge waste to him to suddenly relinquish troops he had paid for, but he was even more afraid to lose God's blessing. So reluctantly, he told his bewildered commanders to separate his troops from the Ephraimite men as tactfully as possible. The men from the northern tribes were greatly angered to be dismissed from the venture. Some took it as an insult against their bravery others felt that the greedy Amaziah just didn't want to share the great plunder they had been promised. No one believed that God had told Amaziah that the mission would be cursed if the Ephraimites were allowed to come. Some were so angry that they wanted to fight the Jewish soldiers on the spot. Anticipating this reaction, The army of Judah had armed troops wisely positioned for such an eventuality, so hostilities were avoided. When cooler heads prevailed, the Ephraimite army left to go home. King Amaziah wouldn't hear the news until much later, but once Amaziah and his army were far away, The treacherous Ephraimites attacked towns now in northern Judah that had once belonged to Israel. Three thousand from the tribe of Judah were killed, and much wealth was stolen as the Ephraimites headed home. Meanwhile, Amaziah and his troops were heading south toward Edom. The Edomites, who had spies everywhere, were well aware of Amaziah's intent. They met the invading army of Judah in the Valley of Salt, directly south of the Dead Sea, but as the prophet had said, God was with Judah in this battle. 10,000 Edomites were killed and another 10,000 taken captive. Next, Amaziah attacked the rock fortress city of Selah, the Edomite capital later known as Petra. After capturing the city, the 10,000 captives were thrown off one of Selah's many high cliffs into a gorge. The Bible does not say what the Edomites had done to deserve this, but it must have been evil. It is also possible that Amaziah was adopting the violent practices of the other nations, just like he was, sadly, about to adopt their pagan practices. Amaziah and his army triumphantly returned to Jerusalem, but the celebration did not last long. The king's mood drastically worsened when he discovered what the Ephraimite soldiers had done. That's it, Amaziah exclaimed. Something must be done to teach those backstabbers a lesson, even if it means going to war. Back in Israel, Joash, son of Jehoaz, had become king. He was like all the other Israelite kings in his disobedience of God. However, the prophet Elisha, who had become quite old, was suffering from a severe sickness Joash, who heard that Elisha was about to die, came to visit. Although Joash refused to obey God, he did understand that Elisha had been involved in some amazing miracles. He knew that the prophet wanted the best for the nation, and he knew that if Israel was to survive its enemies, it needed God's help now more than ever. Thus, he traveled to pay his respects to the dying prophet in secret he hoped he could encourage Elisha to pronounce a curse on the Syrians before he died when Joash saw the aging prophet he was moved with emotion my father my father the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof he cried this was the same thing Elisha had said when God took the prophet Elijah away in a whirlwind it was a sign of respect indicating that Joash saw Elisha as a fatherly protector of Israel. His attitude indicates that God was trying to work with this king. I know why you're here, Elisha said, looking up at Joash. Don't let my death worry you. It is God that gives victories. Pick up that bow and bring it over here. Joash solemnly complied as the old man placed his hands upon the king's. Now, open that east window and shoot, Elisha said. The arrow shot from the bow with great speed, burying itself in the ground some distance off. God is the arrow, and you are the bow that he will use to smite the Syrians and Aphek, where they are currently encamped, until they are totally wiped out. Elisha said. That was just what Joash had hoped to hear. His mind filled with imaginations of destroying Israel's enemies. But the prophet wasn't finished. Go, pick up the rest of the arrows, Elisha commanded the king. Now, take them and pound the ground with them as hard as you can. Joash quickly scooped up the arrows and, with all his might, struck the ground three times. Why have you stopped? Elisha said correctively. Why didn't you pound the ground five or six times until you had completely destroyed Syria from ever being a threat? Now you shall only smite them three times in battle. These victories prophesied by Elisha would fulfill the promise that God had made to Jehoaz. Israel would be freed from Syria. It was Elisha's last prophecy. After his death, Joash made certain that Elisha's body was placed in a stone vault close to Samaria. A miraculous event occurred when another body was brought to the burial site of Elisha. When the bearers saw a band of Moabite looters on horseback heading toward them, they swiftly swung the burial chamber door open and dumped the corpse inside. The Israelites carefully watched the Moabites from behind one of the other tombs. When the Moabites were gone, they were startled to see the very body they had just thrown into the crypt crawl out of it. It was no longer a corpse, but a living, albeit slightly confused, man. His body had touched the bones of Elisha and was miraculously revived. This event showed how much respect God had for his prophet Elisha, the man who served him so well the man who continually pointed his students back to Elijah. Elisha's prediction was fulfilled not long after his death. Joash won three battles against the Syrians, who were led by Hazael's son, Benadad, the new ruler. But Israel's victory was not a result of obedience. Rather, God was honoring Jehoaz's prayer, and he was giving Israel more time to repent. Back in Judah, Amaziah had let his victory over Edom swell his pride. He was planning to travel to Samaria with the full backing of his army to seek revenge when the man of God, who had earlier advised him against using the Israelite soldiers to fight Edom, arrived. This time, the prophet warned that if Amaziah took his army to Samaria they would be shamefully humiliated. Amaziah was again displeased with this forecast. Why do you never bring good news to me? he asked. It is not me. It is you, the man said. You have displeased God in two ways. First, you brought back images of pagan gods from Edom. Second, you have been worshipping these images. How could you do such a thing after God gave you such a great victory? Amaziah was embarrassed and resentful of this reprimand. For some reason, he was fascinated with the Edomite religion. He had even burned incense before some of their gods and prayed to them for protection and success in battle. This was strange because he knew they had done nothing to save Edom from Judah. I have a staff of advisors and you are not one of them. Amaziah retorted. You'd better just close your mouth now before you say something you will regret. There are a lot of sharp spears in this room. Your threat is heeded, the man of God said as he turned to walk away. I won't say any more except to repeat that God will bring about your demise because you won't listen to me and repent of what you have done. Amaziah desperately wanted to retaliate against King Joash but he was worried the man of God's prediction would come true. After deliberating with his own counselors, Amaziah decided to send a challenge to Joash. A few hours later, the king of Israel received the message. The message read as follows... Even though you are aware of the damage your soldiers have done, you have not sought to rectify things. It is your duty to punish the offenders. If you refuse, my army and I will be coming up to Samaria to meet you and settle the matter face to face. When the messengers returned to Judah, they gave Amaziah Johash's letter of response. Amaziah realized immediately that his threat had been useless, for Joash's reply simply ridiculed it. He had concocted an analogy in which Amaziah was a thistle and he was a cedar tree. When the thistle made a ludicrous request of the cedar tree, asking his daughter to marry his son, a fierce animal trampled the thistle. Joash wrote that Amaziah had let his victory over the Edomites go to his head. Your confidence has diminished your wisdom. Why start a battle that will only hurt you and your people? The letter concluded. Amaziah was infuriated. I'll teach that Israelite king not to talk to me like that, he said. Prepare for an immediate attack. To war! To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.